0: A lot of factors can influence different parts of agriculture, and making sense of it all isn't easy. Like beef prices or rail transportation, just to name two. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. In this episode, we're talking with Jackie Fatka, Farm Policy Editor for Feedstuffs and Farm Futures. She covers a lot of topics in a given week as things are hopping on Capitol Hill, even when it may feel like they're not. Today, we're talking beef price transparency and explore a two-pronged front on that issue. One is voluntary and the other that's still evolving is mandatory. It can be complicated, but worth a listen. And she shares some insights from a recent hearing where the topic was rail transportation and farm products. That's a linchpin area since 25% of what farmers raise still moves by rail. So let's find out what Jackie's learned. Well, Jackie, uh, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Good to talk to you again.
1: You too, Willie. It's always a pleasure.
0: Well, today we got a couple of topics I'd like to get into because you're watching Capitol Hill and trying to keep track of all the things that are going on up there. There are two areas we're going to talk about today, and I guess I wanted to start first on something that um, is complicated, and that's this whole what's going on with the beef industry. Can you kind of sum it up a little bit for me?
1: Right. So the beef industry has really had some interesting, they call them black swan events. And the first one came in August 28, 19, um, with a, a plant fire in Holcomb, Kansas. And all of a sudden, packers weren't bidding, prices were not really reflecting what was going on. And then we also see a lot of people are probably more familiar with what we saw with meat plant closures after COVID. But we've seen some issues with with how the packers are being transparent with how they're pricing cattle. And really it is a regional difference. If you look at Iowa, which is where I grew up, Iowa cattlemen um, mostly about 50% of their trade is based on the negotiated cash market. And so those prices, they they see what uh, the cash sales are for those. And so packers are giving a bid based on that that price. But then in Texas, you've got about 5% of cattle that's traded on the cash market. And so you've got a lot of bigger feed yards. And some of those independent operators are sometimes faced with nowhere to to sell or they're only – they're not really confident in the price that they're being offered, you know, and so you hear about price transparency and and making sure that that they really are getting a fair shake at what what they should get for the value of their their meat. And when some of these are only having you know one option of where to sell, they kind of have to either take it or leave it. It's been really interesting over. Especially over the last year, because of these black swan events, we're really starting to see a groundswell of both a voluntary and mandatory fix to try to correct some of these issues that have kind of been mounting well before we saw these black swan events.
0: When we look at that, I mean, there was some breaking news or some stuff that's been going on this week on the industry side, right, On in terms of voluntary, correct?
1: The National Cattlemen's Beef Association, which is the largest cattle group, we do have some other cattle groups, but then you also have within NCBA all of the state beef associations. And so NCBA, after what came about from COVID at their summer meeting, which was in Um, July, they, they decided to form a subgroup to help figure out a voluntary framework. And, you know, prior to that summer meeting, we were starting to see calls from different state and cattle producers for antitrust investigations. We were starting to hear hearings on Capitol Hill, you know, even as early as mid-March before COVID really shut things down. Senator Tester was discussing in a hearing, I remember writing that story, about some of the issues that we were seeing in price transparency. So we started to hear, and we saw a uh, Senator Chuck Brassley from Iowa and Senator Tester from Montana had introduced what they called a 5014 bill, which was actually to require that all cattle traded, you have to have at least 50% negotiated on the cash market, which were for Texas producers would be really hard. But they came out with that. So we were starting to see some legislative proposals. So NCBA recognized that there were things coming down the pipeline and they wanted to be able to get ahead of that and bring different representatives together to the table to try to figure out an industry-driven approach. You know, it's interesting because cattle producers in general, I would say, would not want the government involved in their business. And w- and when I say a mandatory legislative approach, um, you know, government involvement is, is really just a matter of reporting confidentially what kind of prices are on there, how those packers are determining their prices. So this working group that came out of NCBA, there were six different um, members plus the president-elect. So a total of seven members who were on that subgroup from NCBA, um, from Iowa, Colorado, Kansas, Texas, uh, Nebraska. So a a very um, representative sample to, to try to come together. And, you know, it was great to hear um, everybody does business a little differently. And that's a unique thing about NCBA is that they represent the packers, they represent um, cattlemen and cattle feeders and cow-calf, cow-calf operators. So they have a, a very diverse membership, but that also means that they have a good opportunity to maybe come together and, and make sure that whatever they they endorse is something that works for everyone. And so they came out this week with a voluntary approach that really tries to increase the frequent and the transparent negotiated trade to certain regional levels. So they wanna make sure that they have robust price discovery and then they have these triggers that come in. So they their plan is actually called the 75% plan. And these triggers all impact different there's kind of different silos but it's based on the livestock mandatory reporting um, but weekly trade 75% of it has to have a robust price discovery meaning um by negotiated means no less than 75% of the reporting weeks and then they also have to have packer obligations no less than 75%. So it it gets without getting too far in the weeds. Right. They're basically wanting to make sure that, you know, there's enough of the the prices negotiated on the cash market and the negotiated grid and they've got some research to make sure that it's based on the total number of cattle in that region so there's a texas oklahoma region kansas region region, nebraska colorado and iowa minnesota so you know at the end of the day they're trying to they have some different triggers that if packers aren't being transparent um, if they're not reporting how many uh, how much uh, how many cattle they're basically buying on a negotiated cash market so that's the voluntary track. but as I said, there's been some legislative proposals that have happened earlier this year and um, so some of those state groups are still trying to make sure that hey let's not leave the legislative proposal um, which Senator uh, Fisher from Nebraska um, has a Cattle Transparency Act that is is actually getting quite a bit of support, and um, like I said, this has brought so much attention to the cattle market, so USDA put out a pretty intense report out earlier this summer that that actually had some legislative suggestions. And so her bill includes some of the USDA proposal. The Farm Bureau has had a pretty extensive report on cattle pricing. The Department of Justice has looked into antitrust claims. So we have all of these people who are all of a sudden really uh, keying in that there's got to be some discrepancies. And we want to make sure that the little guy is not getting... Um, taken advantage by Packers, especially when we see some of these huge um, swings in the market.
0: Well, looks like we're making some movement and that's good news. Um, it'll take a while. Do you think that these two approaches might converge? I mean, you've got the voluntary 75% NCBA is pr- promoting uh, and this legislative, do you think that eventually we'll meet in the middle?
1: The NCBA approach, which I think this this whole, what we've seen, um, has created a a quicker timeline. Um, I think we've been talking about this for a while. Um, I guess when NCVA came up with how they were going to handle it, it was like a six-hour kind of all-out, everybody a heated discussion. We'll say at a at a meet at the meeting this summer. Um, but they set a timeline. They're starting their 75% plan on January 1st. They're going to evaluate everything. Um, Each quarter and they have one year to evaluate what's going on you know all of these groups have to approve policy so they've they've got their delegates and they have to approve policy so the policy that's approved that they will have this plan in place for one year and if it doesn't work then they support a government intervention mandatory type approach this week Right after we saw the NCBA plan rolled out, 17 state groups, which are also part of NCBA, came out also in support of the mandatory approach. And when I talked with the Iowa Cattlemen's Beef Association president yesterday, Matt Dappy, he, I'm sorry, the CEO, not the president. So he's he's with the 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 group, but it, their thought is um, we can't wait to see if the voluntary approach will work from the sense of we already know that what is included in this bill from Senator Fisher and also in the House, there's a companion bill as well. They support the provisions of that. And so their hope is that as quick as they recognize that the voluntary approach doesn't work, they wanted to make sure that the mandatory option, the Senator Fisher bill, or if they decide to make adjustments to that bill or somebody else tries to tweak that, uh, you know, the legislative process is so much about taking the, the problems and figuring out a fix. And so I, the goal, I, I really see the goal of um, during 2021, as this NCBA voluntary approach goes into effect, they're going to watch to see if those triggers are triggered uh, and mm-hmm. if they aren't, then maybe that's how they can go forward. But if it does get triggered, then they've already got a bill, a marker bill in, in the wings. But again, it's it's that groundswell of and, and also, you know I think it's a great example of people from different regions coming together trying to find solutions because this is something that could be a divisive issue within the industry because you know Texas producers are a lot different than Iowa producers. Exactly regional differences and we find that a lot within agriculture issues and so hopefully this this does converge this does create the opportunity to learn from what's going on within the trigger approach to to see how um at the very end of the day do you have better price discovery are farmers able to manage risk and sell where they understand what price they're going to get because of um, these plans to try to improve, you know, what the negotiated price is that they're getting.
0: Okay. Well, it'll be something to watch next year, that's for sure, to see how that unfolds. And then it's good to know that there's potentially a, a backstop, a mandatory backstop that could be deployed if necessary. You're right. Between the Holcomb fire and COVID, um, this whole meat industry has been um beat up pretty hard, especially the beef industry. So it's pretty crazy. You know, another area that sometimes runs under the radar is transportation. Farmers know it's an issue because they see basis when they go to the, you know, check the elevator cash price. But there was a hearing recently on uh, rail traffic. Uh, Do you pick up anything on that? So,
1: yeah, I uh, listened in on a, a hearing in the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation on Wednesday, um, October 21st. And, you know, sometimes these can be kind of cumbersome, but you do start to hear some of the the insight of what's going on, how railroads are managing post-COVID. And most farmers do probably see the uh, trains going through with the grain. Obviously, this time of year, especially, we are dependent on the railroad industry to get our ag products in and out of all around the country. Um, you know, 24% of grains and oil seeds move by rail now. Um, you know, this is down somewhat from 1980, but we are seeing some more intermodal. So, you know, the the remaining whatever the remaining amount we see 62% moves by truck and 14% by barge. So we have a very integrated transportation system for our grain, and that's an important piece of keeping U.S. farmers competitive. And, you know, as part of this hearing, um, I thought it was really interesting because, you know, you would think with rail that they'd still would have been able to move stuff. I know that they, you know, agriculture was considered essential, but the rail industry saw their their shipments down by 30 percent at the depth of what happened this spring. And so fortunately, um, the American Railroad Association testified that they've seen that number come back but not at the level it had hoped. So it's still down 10% from years ago. But ag shipments have been one of the bright spots in rail traffic. And, you know, they they have been making investments as well as, you know, that's been a, a partnership between the grain facilities and railroad facilities to help make some of those improvements. You know, and one thing that I, I consistently heard throughout the hearing was the importance of the nimbleness of the rail industry in addition to the the communication between sectors so the rail industry communicating with the, the grain industry about problems that could come up or how to fix that you know we're already hearing some delays up in the upper um, upper plains of a couple weeks three to four weeks and so being able to manage that you know they know a big harvest is coming on and so making sure that they can continue to kind of keep things Keep things rolling and and making sure too that there are options to get that big crop out of the plains, out of the Midwest, and and out to those ports or end users domestically.
0: One of the things, and having kind of followed the rail situation a little bit, it can sometimes be adversarial. But I think that may be changing a little bit. Did you get that sense in the hearing?
1: You know, I think they are. Um, you know, there's there's definitely interesting times of. Um, Whether we had a monopoly or only one option. And, you know, there's some issues with, you know, there's the surface transportation board is there's reauthorization coming up. So, you know, the National Grade and Feed Association, they are really trying to make sure that they continue to have a reliable rail service and a cost effective for agriculture. So, I mean, I think there was a good sense of, yay, we're communicating, we're working well, we're doing the best we can after COVID. But I know from NGFA standpoint, they are really wanting to make sure that they continue to kind of make those important statements about how to manage disputes. Um, I think that's always been an issue on how to manage disputes. I think just on the obligation of railroads of, of what they have to do and just you know, we we all know that there is we have to we have to make sure that ag continues to have access to rail. And you know, you're hearing reports about cars that get stuck in a certain spot, and then grain producers are charged all this money because you know they can't they can't they're they're late, but it's not their fault that the, the car's not there for them to to fill it and send it on to the next spot. I think it's better. I think it's better than it was 10 years ago because this has been an issue that I, I think has been kind of brewing for a while, but. At the end of the day, we need rail, they need us, and hopefully that'll just continue to, to grow a good, um, fruitful, shared relationship between them.
0: Well, Jackie, it's been good to talk to you, catching up a little bit about what's going on in the beef industry and a touching base on another area on the grain side, and that's keeping our crop moving from field to market. Uh, you take care and stay safe.
1: Thanks so much, Willie. It's always a pleasure.
0: It's always fun to catch up with Jackie as she covers the workings of government and trade groups. We appreciate her insight. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress virtual experience. If you didn't tune in to the premiere of the Farm Progress virtual experience, you can still visit the site to see more. Just visit huskerharvestdays.com for a direct connection to the virtual event, where all of the field demonstrations, exhibitor links, and breakout sessions remain available. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.